five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is a special episode of the SpaceQ podcast. Comet NeoEyes took astronomers somewhat by surprise. You see, comets can be very finicky with respect to how bright they get. And because the comet became bright enough for the public to see, well, it's a rare treat. Comet NeoEyes was discovered early this year on March 27th. Yesterday, NASA held two events to discuss the comet. The first was geared towards a general audience and was hosted by the NASA Science Live team. So the first part of this podcast, a little over six minutes, is going to provide you with the basic background information you need to enjoy viewing the comet. Unfortunately, the comet is only visible to those in the Northern Hemisphere. The second part of the podcast is a media teleconference, where the media get to ask the experts their questions. You'd be surprised at some of the questions and answers. The NASA experts included Lindley Johnson, Planetary Defense Officer and Program Executive of NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office at NASA headquarters, Emily Kramer, Co-Investigator of the Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, NEOWISE, the telescope that discovers it, and Amy Mainzer, NEOWISE Principal Investigator, University of Arizona. Listen in. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of NASA Science Live. I'm your host, Joy Ng, and I'm so glad you're joining us today to talk about Comet NEOWISE. As you might have heard in the news, this three-mile-wide comet is passing through the night sky this month, and you'll be able to look up and see it with binoculars, telescopes, and if you're lucky, even the naked eye. Last weekend, I managed to see it around 4 a.m. in the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, and it was stunning. But if you're more of a night owl, starting from this week, you get a chance to see it in the evenings just after sunset. On social media, we asked you to submit some of your own photos and we received some amazing images. So keep an eye out because we'll be featuring them throughout the show. Comet Neowise was first discovered in March of this year and it's been putting on a grand show for Comet, Comet Watchers at dawn and now at dusk. It's covered in soot left over from the formation of our solar system about 4.6 billion years ago. And as comets orbit close to the sun, they heat up and spew gases and dust in a glowing head. And this material is what forms the tail that you see stretching across the sky. Observers all over the world are hoping to catch a glimpse of Comet Neowise. And today we have two NASA experts here to answer some key questions about this fascinating celestial object. Please send your questions using the hashtag AskNASA or by writing in the comment box wherever you're watching this today. So let's get started. I'm joined by Emily Kramer, who's the co-investigator on the NEOWISE science team, and Joe Macero, NEOWISE deputy principal investigator from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. So we're all really excited about the opportunity to see Comet NEOWISE in the sky. But I'm curious, what is the difference between a comet and an asteroid? 
Sure, that's a great question. So comets and asteroids are both objects in our solar system that uh, orbit through the uh, different areas. Um, the asteroids are mostly between uh, Mars and Jupiter, and the comets tend to be in a much wider area. They're also tend to be very different in composition. The asteroids are mostly rocky, and the comets are what we might call icy mud balls, so a combination of volatiles such as water ice, carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide, and dust as well. So how was Comet Neowise first discovered? So Comet Neowise was first picked up by the Neowise survey at the end of March. So NEOWISE is an acronym that stands for the Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. And this is an infrared space telescope orbiting the Earth in the low Earth orbit, constantly scanning the sky in the thermal infrared, looking for asteroids and comets that come close to the Earth. And so this comet was first picked up at the end of March as part of our automated processing. And so as the data came in, it goes through an automated system that tries to identify moving objects and sends it to our team to review. And so as part of that review, we were looking at it and said, hey, this looks like a comet. We can see a clear fuzzy cloud around it. And so we reported that to the Minor Planet Center saying, here's a new object and it looks to be cometary. Now, right after we discovered it, we saw that it was going to have a close pass with the sun around July 3rd and that there was a chance that it could become very bright. And so we were really crossing our fingers and we got really lucky that it turned out to be a spectacular sight. Yeah, it's really, really stunning. So why is it named um, Neowise? So this is a tradition in astronomy that goes back centuries. Uh, comets are typically named after their discoverer and or the first person who reported it in the journals or the letters to their colleagues. Um, now that most of the discoveries of asteroids and comets are done by surveys, the rules have been that if it's found by the automatic processing of the survey, it's named after the survey. And so because our survey is named Neowise, the comet is named Neowise. And is there anything that makes this comet unique? Well, the fact that we can see it is really what makes it unique. Um, it's quite rare for a comet to be bright enough that we can see it with the naked eye or even with just binoculars. Uh, the last time we had a comet that was this bright was Comet Hale-Bopp back in 1995 and 1996. So it's been quite a while and it's exciting to be able to see this one in, in this way now. And why is it that we can see Comet Neowise now? I understand at the end of the month, it's going to disappear and not be seen for 6,800 years. So why is that so? Right. So as I said, this when it came by the close pass of the sun in July, uh, July 3rd, um, that's when it gets the hottest. And so the sun bakes off these ices that Emily spoke about and turns them into a gas that makes this cloud, this beautiful tail that we see. And that's a combination of the melting gases and the dust that's kicked off by it. And so whether you can see a comet or not and how bright it appears is all a function of geometry. Where is the Earth? Where is the sun? Where is the comet? And so if all of the things line up just right, then this comet is reflecting enough of the sun's light to get to us to appear to be bright enough to see with the naked eye. And we've had a few NASA satellites that have captured the comet in its images. Um, what can we learn from comets using satellites? So satellites can help provide us with some really interesting information that we're not able to get from the ground. For example, with the NEOWISE spacecraft, the one that we use to discover this comet, we're able to detect carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide, which is difficult to see from the ground due to Earth's atmosphere. So we're able to get some information that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. 
Additionally, with, uh, with other spacecraft such as Hubble Space Telescope, for example, or uh, SOHO or a few others, we're able to see the comet without the Earth's atmosphere obscuring it, allowing us to get a much more detailed picture of what's going on. Well, that's really interesting. Um, let's go ahead and answer some questions from hashtag AskNASA. Remember, please don't hesitate to send us your questions by writing in the comment box wherever you're watching this or by using the hashtag AskNASA on social media. So one question we've been getting from a lot of you is, how do I capture um, Comet Neowise in photos? Well, NASA social media specialist Bill Dunford captured some photos last weekend and has shared a few of his tips. Hi, I'm Bill Dunford from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. In my spare time, I love to take pictures of the night sky. I do this using a camera mounted to a tripod and in manual mode so that I can set the camera to leave the shutter open for several seconds to let in lots of light. Recently, I captured these images of Comet Neowise. On a clear morning at about 4.30 a.m., I went to a location far from city lights that had a good view of the northeast horizon. I could see the comet with the naked eye, so I zoomed in on it and exposed each shot for about four seconds. I also did a little post-processing using photo editing software. Here's an original photo straight out of the camera. I was able to brighten it a bit, draw out the vibrancy of the colors, and clean up some noise. The end result was close to how the scene looked in person, which I have to tell you is beautiful. So I really hope you get a chance to see Comet Neowise and all of the other wonders of the night sky. So we have another question from social media. Um, Twitter user Fran asks, will the comet keep moving higher away from the horizon every night? Will it eventually be over my head? And can I see it any time after dark? So right now it's moving from the morning sky, as you heard, into the evening sky. And so it will be coming up in the evening sky as this next week or two go on. But it's going to be moving further from the sun at the same time. And so there's a chance that it could be getting fainter, or if there's extra activity, it could be getting brighter. So we really don't know what the brightness change will be over time, but it's certainly going to be, in the, after about a month from now, going to be getting much fainter rapidly. Um, it won't be over your head unless you are pretty far north. Okay, we'll now transition to the NASA Media Teleconference. Hi, everyone. I'm Joshua Handel, Public Affairs Officer at NASA Headquarters in Washington, D.C. Welcome today to today's media conference to discuss Comet Neowise. We have three panelists joining us today. For those watching via Ustream at nasa.gov live, please note there will be a 30-second delay in the streaming to the actual teleconference. Before we begin, I will introduce each panelist and let them say a few words about their specific roles at NASA. We will then move to a question and answer session, accepting questions from media that dialed into the phone bridge and those that submitted questions on social media using the hashtag AskNASA. The media telecon will be limited to one hour. For today, our panelists are Lindley Johnson, Planetary Defense Officer and Program Executive of NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office at NASA Headquarters, Amy Meinzer, Principal Investigator of NASA's Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, or NEOWISE mission, at the University of Arizona, and Emily Kramer, 
co-investigator of the NEOI science team at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And with that, let's get started. Lindley? Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I'm the planetary defense uh, officer at NASA headquarters and uh, responsible for running our uh, uh, planetary defense program, of which the Near-Earth Objects Observations uh, Program is part of it. And the NEOI's uh, mission, which Amy will tell you all about, uh, is one of our projects for uh, detecting, tracking, and characterizing all asteroids and comets that uh, could approach uh, the Earth in its orbit about the sun. Uh, this is one of the side benefits of our uh, vigilance to, to watch for those objects, is finding uh, uh, objects of, of great scientific interest like uh, comet uh, Neowise. We were able to find this comet uh, before it approached the sun and therefore uh, knew that it was coming around the sun and would be available for observations um, uh, now at this time. Um, so with that, let me just uh, turn it over to Amy to talk about uh, NEOWISE and the NEOWISE mission. Thanks so much, Lindley, and uh, thanks to everyone for calling in. So the NEOWISE mission was uh, began its life actually as a, as a different project. It was called the Widefield Infrared Survey Explorer, or WISE, originally. And when it was launched uh, about 10 years ago, uh, its original purpose was not really to look at asteroids and comets. It was really designed to do an all-sky map in infrared light. Uh, as it turned out, though, it was pretty useful for observing asteroids and comets, and, and in particular measuring their sizes and their reflectivities. Uh, so uh, even though the mission was only designed to last for about seven months, uh, NASA asked us to reactivate it uh, after it finished its prime mission in 2013, and it's been watching the skies ever since. Uh, it is long past its design lifetime, however, and uh, we're, we're very excited that it, even in spite of its, its age, uh, it's still delivering exciting science uh, in the form of this new comet. In this case, uh, this object was spotted using two infrared wavelengths of light at uh, 3.4 and 4.6 microns. So in other words, we're seeing infrared emission from the comet, and, and that's what allowed us to pick it out. Uh, we spotted its heat signature in the sky, and from those infrared wavelengths, we can tell something about the, the size of the comet. And uh, my colleague, Emily Kramer, will talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but essentially, this object was spotted uh, in late March. On March 27th, we, we saw a series of images of it, and it was immediately obvious that it was pretty likely that this would be a comet based on the, the sort of extended emission, the sort of fuzz that we saw surrounding the point-like nucleus of the comet as it moved across the sky against the background stars. But when we first discover these objects, we know so very little about them. We just see that there's something moving. And uh, in this case, we were able to uh, call some friends who were able to contribute follow-up observations of the comet and determined that its uh, orbit would actually take it fairly close to the sun, uh, which immediately becomes pretty exciting for us because uh, when something that's been frozen in deep space for a really long time gets close to the sun, a lot of exciting things can happen. So uh, I'll hand off to uh, Emily Kramer here to talk a little more about the comet. Sure. Hi, folks. Thanks, everyone, for calling in. Um, so, as my colleague said, I'm Emily Kramer of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I have worked with the WISE and NEOWISE mission for a little while now, and uh, I do a lot of work with the comets for the mission. Um, so, the comet NEOWISE C2020F3 that we're talking about here today, uh, we were able to use the uh, NEOWISE mission data 
um, to find out that the comet is about three miles or five kilometers in diameter, which is uh, a reasonably large but uh, roughly average-sized comet. Um, and we're able to, uh, using the new wireless data, we were able to track its orbit, and we found that it was coming close to the sun. And so now we're getting these spectacular images uh, showing the comet's broad dust tail and uh, ion trail in, in some cases as well. Um, and we'll, we should be able to uh, see this comet for uh, another few weeks or so, depending on how uh, bright it <clears throat> how bright it stays. Comets are notoriously difficult to predict uh, what's going to happen to them. And so we're all quite excited to see uh, how this comet progresses. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Lindley, Amy, and Emily. We'll now start the question and answer session. We have several reporters on the telephone bridge today, so we'll need to limit everyone to one question and one follow-up. Once everyone has had a chance to ask a question, if time permits, we'll start from the beginning again, as well as get a question asked on social media using the hashtag AskNASA. Our operator should identify you, but if not, please identify yourself, your media affiliation, and then direct your question to a specific panelist if possible. For those dialing in, push the star one keys on your telephone to be placed in the queue. For those on Twitter, send your questions using the hashtag AskNASA. And with that, let's begin. Chelsea? Our first question is from Matt Kaplan from Planetary Radio from the Planetary Society. Your line is now open. Hi. Uh, Lindley, I guess this is primarily a question for you. Uh, my colleague Casey Dreyer has noted the uh, really impressive increase in uh, NASA funding and congressional funding of planetary defense. And I wonder, in light of that, what's the current outlook for a new dedicated infrared telescope uh, to search for NEOs? Uh, oh, well, uh, thanks for the question, Matt. Uh, we do have uh, funding now in our planetary defense program budget for uh, a startup of uh, a new uh, space-based infrared telescope, a uh, mission that we are calling the Near-Earth Object uh, Surveillance Mission. Uh, we have uh, uh, funding this year, uh, Congress designated for uh, uh, startup work on uh, instrument development of about $35 million. And there is uh, funding in uh, uh, fiscal year 21 uh, as well. Uh, uh, proposed for 21. Of course, uh, the um, budget for 21 is uh, still uh, with Congress uh, for uh, uh, appropriations, so we are um, hoping that uh, their negotiations uh, turn, turn out well and we'll continue to have uh, funding available. Thank you. The next question is from Eric Mack from CNET. Your line is now open. Mr. Mack, please check your mute button. I'm sorry, you caught me. Can you hear me? Yes, Can you hear me? You. Okay, uh, sorry about that. Thanks for, for doing this. I suppose this question is probably for Lindley uh, since you're in the Planetary Defense Office, there's been some um, yeah, academic work out in the last couple of years about you know the potential danger from uh, the debris fields of uh, comets, particularly 
new comets. And, and since we've got at least four that we hadn't seen before this year, I'm wondering if that's anything that you've uh, looked into specifically with Neowise or Atlas or Swan or any of these other comets that are new to us this year. Uh, well, it's it's not unusual for uh, uh, several comets to be visible at the at the same time. Um, I think uh, the uptick and, and numbers that uh, your your perception is that uh, uh, we are uh, watching the skies more and more, bringing on more capability uh, to see what's out there. Uh, but those uh, these objects are are present there all the time. It doesn't rep represent any increase in the danger uh, uh, to the Earth uh, any more than it was uh, uh, before. It's just that uh, we now have the capabilities to uh, uh, to spot them uh, uh, earlier and uh, uh, dimmer further away than they were before. Okay, thanks. I guess I'm wondering if specifically if there's been any analysis done on potential dangers from the, the debris fields of these comets specifically? Uh, well, uh, uh, yes, as uh, you know, part of our planetary defense program, uh, we have done uh, several studies on what the uh, potential hazard is of impact from both asteroids uh, and comets. Uh, those are uh, in our uh, science, defin de science definition team studies uh, that uh, are uh, available uh, uh, through our planetary defense website. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. The next question is from Mike Wall from space.com. Your line is now open. Thank you all. Um, just a quick question maybe for um, Dr. Meinzer or Dr. Kramer, but like what about Comet Neowise from, from like the scientific side? Like what excites you guys or or the kind of planetary science community, people people who actually study comets and, and are trying to understand them better. Could you just talk a little bit about what are the prospects for for sort of learning more, like about comets and and the cometary composition, those sorts of things that that this particular comet will actually present to researchers. Thanks. This is uh, this is Amy, but I'll, I'll answer this and hand off to Emily. But I, from my perspective, the thing that is so particularly interesting about this one is that at five kilometers, it's a pretty large comet. Uh, it's a lot of mass, and it's getting quite close to the sun. In a lot of cases, uh, when comets do this, we they, we see the sun sort of blow them apart. The the ice is just uh, are so. Uh, he did so quickly that it just actually shreds the comet and destroys it. In this case, that doesn't seem to have happened. The comet has, has passed its closest approach to the sun and it survived. So that tells us something about its, its structural strength. And, and also, because it's getting so close, we now have a really spectacular look at it. We can really study it up close with many, many different instruments and cameras. So it offers the opportunity to gather a lot of extra data. Emily, did you want to say a few words about that? Yeah, sure. So continuing on what Amy has said, uh, because this comet is so bright, uh, in the, especially in the, you know, the nucleus and the tail and uh, the two different tails, we're able to uh, get a lot more and better data than we typically do for most comets. So most comets, you can only see them from the most powerful of telescopes because they're so faint. Here, we're able to study it with a wide variety of different telescopes. 
And uh, that'll allow us to do really interesting studies, such as watching what happens to this comet over time. For many comets, if you can only use the biggest telescopes, you might not be able to get very much data very regularly. But for a comet that's as bright as this one, we're able to get quite a bit of data at uh, a very fine um, time structure, so, you know, pretty frequently. And so we're able to really watch what happens to this comet as a function of time. Additionally, because it's so bright, we're able to do other uh, kinds of studies, such as spectroscopy, which allows us to get an idea of the composition of the comet. For comets that are such as this one that are particularly bright, um, there is a possibility of seeing the sodium ion tail, which is fairly uncommon to see unless you have very bright comets. So we're excited at the uh, prospect of that and really getting um, a lot more good data. Additionally, it's also, <clears throat> sorry, um, I'll, I'll have to cut it off there just so I can get some water. Thank you. And Michael on Facebook asks, how far out of the solar system does Neowise venture? Uh, this is Amy. I can answer that. So, so Neowise uh, actually is a is is in a kind of an interesting orbit from my perspective. It looks like uh, just looking at the database here of what we know about its orbit so far, it looks like it orbits the sun about every six to seven thousand years. And at its farthest distance away, it uh, looks like it ranges out to about 700 times the distance from the Earth to the sun. So it, it gets pretty far out, but not as far away as some of the other comets uh, that, that we've discovered uh, over time. So this one uh, comes in very rarely. It's certainly not going to appear again any time in our lifetimes, um, but it has passed in the inner solar system uh, when there were human beings on the planet about uh, six, 7,000 years ago. The next question is from Leo Enright from Irish Television. Your line is now open. Uh, thank, thanks very much for doing this. Uh, this is, in a sense, a related question, uh, and it, it's to do with uh, planetary protection. So I guess it's Sir Lindley Johnson. Um, I, I, as I understand it, planetary defense is obsessed or primarily focused on objects that come out of nowhere. Uh, obviously, we have a good idea of a lot of things in our solar system now, but uh, this comet seems interesting that you only see saw it back in March, uh, it appears to have crossed the plane uh, of the solar system, if I understand it correctly, uh, at the end of last month. Um, so it, could you gain for me what would happen if you had seen this and it had our name on it? Uh, if this had been heading for Earth, uh, how would uh, the planetary defense community uh, internationally have responded to a five-kilometer-wide uh, comet that you only saw three months ago? Well, uh, first of all, let me say that the uh, impact uh, of comets to the Earth uh, is a, a much more rare event even than uh, impacts of asteroids, which is, is rare in and of itself with one uh, significant size. Um, uh, this, uh, uh, this particular uh, 
comet uh, has has no possibility of impacting the Earth. It crosses the plane uh, of Earth's orbit well uh, inside of, of, of Earth's orbit, almost near uh, uh, the orbit of Mercury. Uh, so there is absolutely no hazard from this comet. Uh, as most of them are, uh, uh, the orbit uh, of a comet, um, it has to pass through the plane of Earth's orbit uh, near uh, the, the distance uh, uh, from the sun of the Earth. So uh, it, 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 it's a really improbable uh, situation uh, for a comet uh, to uh, impact the Earth. Uh, it's much more common for asteroids, that uh, most of which uh, orbit in the plane of the solar system along with the planets, uh, for there to be an impact uh, 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 from an asteroid. Uh, but uh, that is one of the purposes that the Planetary Defense Coordination Office in the U.S. and uh, working with our international colleagues uh, through uh, uh, a couple of UN-endorsed uh, uh, organizations, the International Asteroid Warning Network, uh, observatories around the world uh, spotting these things and providing the observations to determine what their orbits are, and then with uh, uh, a forum for the uh, space agencies uh, of the nations from around the world, uh, the um, uh, space mission uh, planning and advisory group are, are uh, working together and planning uh, the technologies and techniques that might be employed uh, to uh, deflect or disrupt uh, a uh, body that um, might be on a course to impact the Earth. The next question is from Carolyn from Astronomer Ireland Magazine. Your line is now open. Hi, guys. Um, thanks for taking the call. Um, it's Carly and Hayden. He's the youngest columnist from Astronomy Ireland magazine. First of all, um, congratulations on the discovery of Neowise and the excitement that it's been creating around the globe. Um, I just want to get an overview and your thoughts um, with, from a planetary defense perspective uh, with education and awareness. Um, what does this mean for you now? You know, the people have got to see this comet with their own eyes, um, you know, to actually have a visual um, and learning um, more about planetary defense and also backing space programs that go to these um, asteroids and comets um, protecting us here on Earth. Well, you, want to, you want to take a crack at it? Uh, sure. Yeah, I was uh, reaching for my mute button uh, there. Well, um, uh, you know, this is uh, an example of uh, uh, an object uh, coming out of uh, deep space uh, that um, uh, our uh, survey capabilities uh, uh, need to be able to spot. Uh, in this case, we were lucky in that it, uh, it did cross the field of view of, of the NEOI spacecraft. Uh, back in March, uh, so we saw it uh, uh, saw it ahead of time. Um, we do need increased uh, capabilities to look at more of the sky uh, over time uh, to uh, spot uh, more of these objects uh, uh, 
Uh, for instance, with the uh, asteroids, uh, we feel we've only found about a third of the population of asteroids that are out there that uh, could represent a impact uh, hazard to the Earth. Uh, so we need to uh, increase the, uh, those capabilities. Uh, so uh, this uh, apparition of this comet uh, uh, makes uh, folks aware that uh, uh, these objects are out there in space uh, uh, coming into uh, the inner uh, solar system. Uh, you know, this one is uh, of no uh, hazard uh, to the Earth, and I would just recommend that uh, people go out in the in the evening, uh, try to spot it in the northwestern sky, and and enjoy the sight, uh, uh, because that's uh, uh, what occurs most of the time with these comets. Uh, they will just provide us a great uh, sight uh, in the night sky. Brilliant. Thank you very much. The next question, Lydia on Facebook asks, I know comets travel at different speeds and are visible on Earth in different years. Why will Neowise take about 7,000 years to come back into view? Isn't that an exceptionally long time for a comet? Uh, this is Amy. I can answer that and um, possibly get some help from Emily here. But the uh, the answer is yeah. This is a this is a comet that has a, a pretty long orbital period. It orbits the sun uh, you know, every seven thousand years or so. That said, there are different classes of comets in our solar system, and some have much longer orbital periods even than this. It's hard as a human being to to really think about something that that happens on such long time scales. But the comets that come from uh, even more distant parts of our outer solar system uh, in the Oort cloud can take hundreds of millions of years to orbit uh, the sun and, and maybe even longer. So they, they can be on extremely long orbital periods. Uh, but basically, millions and millions of years. Uh, this one, however, is about 7,000 years. Now, there are another group of comets that are actually closer in, and we call these uh, short-period comets because they go around the sun well, kind of about every five or six years or so. Uh, so this is not one of those. Uh, this comet is, is coming in from a kind of a medium-long distance, I guess I would say. And how it got there is a bit of a mystery. Um, it must have been probably in a more distant orbit at some point in the past, and it probably got perturbed somehow, maybe through an interaction with Jupiter or something like that, uh, into its current state. I mean, this is, this is speculation on my part, of course, but Emily, what do you think? Uh, yeah, so uh, to, to follow up with some of the what you said, um, there are a couple different cl dynamical classes of comets. So we have the, the Jupiter family comets, which have orbits about five to seven years on average and are dynamically linked to the planet Jupiter, which um, helps to kind of shepherd the orbits and keep them in, uh, <clears throat> in that part of the solar system. We also have the long-period comets, which come from very far away out in the Oort cloud and come in every several thousand years, such as uh, Comet Neowise. <clears throat> sorry, sorry about my voice here. Uh, so, uh, the pet, so these different classes of comets, yeah, they come in at um, different frequencies, and uh, these long-period comets are have been in cold storage out far, far away from the sun for most of their lifetime since their formation at the beginning of the solar system. Thank you. If I could just add, I think uh, what people should appreciate here is, uh, uh, you know, gain an understanding and appreciation for the gravitational power of the sun. 
that it uh, the gravitational influence uh, of our sun can reach so far out into space and pull these uh, pull these comets in uh, from orbits that are uh, uh, literally uh, uh, billions of miles away from the Earth. The next question is from Bill Harwood from CBS News. The line is not open. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, this is probably a dumb question, but I'm just curious. Um, is it too close to the sun right now for Hubble to image, or is there some date when we might see pictures from Hubble of the comet? Thanks. Hmm, that's a good one. Let me check here. I think the short answer is probably not right now, because um, it is uh, right now we see it in the uh, you know very low to the horizon right now in the evening sky, and that's a direction that uh, you know if you have a big space telescope you probably don't want to point. Uh, that does raise an interesting point though, and and one of the difficulties with finding these objects is that sometimes uh, they can come from directions on the sky that that are very difficult for our, our telescopes to look. And in fact, uh, if you're a telescope on the ground or orbiting the Earth, uh, you really can't look in the direction of the sun very easily because, you know, for obvious reasons, it would, it would blind you. It would be very bad for the telescope. Uh, to that end, we are trying to expand our capabilities to uh, look in directions that are closer to the sun so that we can catch more of these things and be able to catch them when they come from that direction on the sky. So the, the new project uh, that I'm working on, the Near-Earth Object Surveillance Mission, is designed uh, to be able to look pretty close to the sun, much closer than, than most of these telescopes, including Hubble, would ever uh, venture to look. So, uh, so that's the goal. Uh, that said, I believe uh, it will eventually cross back into a part of the sky where it would be uh, safe to point Hubble at that. And I think maybe one of my colleagues here can chime in and correct me if I'm wrong. But that's just I'm just looking at the orbit diagram here. No, no, that's right. Hubble will be able to pick it up uh, here a little uh, later on, but uh, yeah, they're probably not going to uh, uh, try to look this close to the sun uh, with Hubble. The next question is from Don from CBC. Your line is now open. Hi, thank you for doing this. Uh, my question is, can we get an estimate of how many asteroids and comets uh, Neowise has discovered in its lifetime? Thank you. Sure, I can take that one. So uh, the telescope has been able to observe uh, over 100,000 asteroids and comets. Now, most of those are discovered by other surveys. And again, like I said, this telescope wasn't originally designed for this purpose. Uh, it's mostly focused on characterizing the objects, regardless of who discovers them. Uh, the discoveries that are credited to this observer, uh, observatory number uh, in the 30,000s right now, about 33,000, 34,000. Uh, most of these asteroids and comets, though, however, are in the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, where, of course, they pose no hazard whatsoever to the Earth. Uh, we do observe a smaller subset of these, a much smaller subset of these that are the near-Earth objects, the ones that get particularly close to the Earth's orbit. And I believe we've discovered something in the neighborhood of about 15 comets, although Emily may want to jump in and make sure I haven't misstated that. But I think it's about 15 right now. Uh, so between um, the original prime Neowise mission, or WISE mission and the uh, current Neowise mission, we've discovered uh, just over two dozen comets. There we go. 
Yeah, it's, the, the numbers are constantly changing as we find new things. And so right now we're in the total numbers of about 33,000, 34,000 for all of the objects that we've observed. And, yeah, so a couple dozen comets, that's pretty good for a telescope that was not originally designed for this purpose. Thank you. Sure. The next question is from Stephen Clark from Space Flight Now. Your line is now open. Hi, Stephen Clark from Space Flight Now. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I think my question is for Dr. Mainzer. Uh, what's the outlook for NEOIs going forward? I know it's been uh, over 10 years since its launch. Uh, how much longer life does the spacecraft have in it? Thanks. Uh, this is this is the question we would all like to know right now from, from from this project's perspective. It has been a real surprise, frankly, that the spacecraft has lasted as long as it has. Uh, what's happening is that the the sun synchronous orbit, which keeps its orbital plane perpendicular to the line connecting the Earth and the Sun, which means we can keep pointing the telescope away from both the Earth and the Sun, uh, is slowly being dragged. It's it's processing, and so it's churning as uh, as the telescope lifetime gets older. And eventually, what will happen is that uh, it's going to be very difficult for us to keep the sunlight or the Earth shine out of the telescope. Uh, and also, too, the temperatures are, are starting to go up. This telescope experiences seasonal heating, so it gets hotter in the summer months, and then it cools off again. Uh, and we've just finished our, our, our hottest period for this year. Uh, so the temperature got up to about 79 degrees Kelvin, uh, which sounds cold for a human being, but for an infrared telescope, it's, it's starting to get warm. That said, uh, the telescope did not exhibit any significant uh, deterioration in performance in spite of that. And I think what's been happening is that the drag forces from the atmosphere have just been a little bit less than we were expecting. Uh, this is because the solar activity, which is what drives these drag forces, it sort of puffs up the atmosphere as the sun is more active. Well, the sun's been pretty quiet uh, in the last few years. And as a consequence, the drag forces have been lower. That said, uh, this is a telescope that is well past its expiration date. And uh, like a very old car, every day is a gift. <laughs> and uh, we're just really excited that it's still able to, to find uh, spectacular things like, like this comet. Um, so that's great. Uh, but we're not really sure how much longer it's going to go. Uh, in theory, maybe another year at most. That is my prediction. For the next question, Twitter user Spokut Gautam asked, how was Neowise formed? I can take that question. Um, so the comets in our solar system were formed at the very beginning of our solar system um, over 4 billion years ago. And this is when our solar system didn't look like what you know of it now. It was a disk of gas and dust with a proto-sun in the middle. And then what happened is those, that gas and dust started to collect together into what we now know as the planets, the asteroids, and the comets. The comets, such as Neowise, were kicked out to the very outer part of the solar system, and have been kept in that cold storage that I mentioned before for most of their lifetime. And so that's why they're still able to be active when they come <clears throat> into the inner solar system. Their ices have not been baked off as, <clears throat> as we've seen from other objects. The next question is from Miriam Kramer from Axios. Your line is now open. 
Hi, thanks so much for doing this uh, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, so this is hopefully a relatively quick one because you guys touched on it a bit, but just to ask directly, are there any uh, specific telescope observations planned for NEOWISE, uh, for the object, um, for the comet, sorry, uh, in the next, you know, in the coming weeks? Uh, I know that, you know, maybe Hubble can't see it immediately, but are there any other telescopes that, that uh, NASA has planned to sort of look at it? Thanks. Um, well, one thing I, I would like to point out is that just uh, just this phenomenal array of images, even outside of NASA, that has, has come out from all kinds of observers. Uh, that's really exciting to see, and of course, it, it gives us a lot of a lot of good looks at it, a lot of different different points of view. Uh, one of the things that's, that's pretty neat is actually that the uh, SETI Institute has a has a 24-hour camera on it. Uh, basically, they have cameras all around the world that are networked together, and so uh, folks can can look at it at any given point in time. Uh, using the SETI Institute's telescope. So that's a really wonderful thing, I think. Uh, but I believe right now there are a number of observers who are starting to collect data on it, and are, um, I expect uh, as it moves to a little bit of an easier place on the sky to get at, we'll probably be able to get more uh, big telescopic observations of it just because the direction that it's in right now is really hard for telescopes on the ground uh, to look at, uh, even those orbiting the Earth. So I, I think there are a number of observations planned. Emily, do you want to? Do you think we've got uh, presumably Gemini and uh, some of the other ones lined up? I would expect. Um, I don't know definitively of any observations that are planned, but I would expect that most of the large telescopes would be observing this comet uh, once it gets further away from the sun. As you had said, right now it's pretty low in the sky, and we don't like to point these big telescopes low down to the ground. It's uh, not good for the mechanics of the telescopes. Thank you. There are, are, are a number of um, um, uh, space-based telescopes that uh, that have uh, seen it, uh, and in particular, uh, there were some images of it uh, done by a Solar Probe. Um, that uh, if you check the uh, NASA website on on NeoWise, you're you'll see some of those images. That's right. Parker Solar Probe has some spectacular views of it. And the interesting thing about those is the the observing geometry uh, allows us to get a, a look at the comet from that particular angle, uh, which is quite quite valuable when we combine it with other data from the ground. Great. Thanks again. The next question is from Matt Kaplan from Planetary Radio from the Planetary Society. Your line is now open. Thank you, and hello again. This is one for Amy and Emily, I think. Um, and it's whether this sort of up-close and personal data that was gathered by the Rosetta mission at, at Comet 67P, whether that has reshaped it all, um, what we look for when we observe comets from a distance or, or, or how we appreciate them? Uh, yeah, so it totally has reshaped our understanding of comets when we look at them from a distance. Um, one of the really fascinating things that we discovered from the Rosetta mission is that many comets have what we call micro-outbursts, where they just let off a little bit of extra puff of activity every now and then. When we're observing from the ground, we might miss these uh, if we're not looking closely for them. It's not the time for comets where 
they, they're fairly quiescent. They don't do much, uh, anything particularly interesting. They get brighter, they get dimmer. Um, sometimes they let off a bit of a puff of, uh, extra, a fair, fair bit of extra activity. Um, but Rosetta has showed us that these smaller puffs happen pretty frequently. And so we're now able to see that, uh, we're tracking these objects more closely, and we're seeing um, a wider variety of activities than we had seen before. And if I can sneak in a second one, I'm just wondering if uh, any of the three of you or all three of you have gone out and enjoyed the comet with your own eyes. Yes, uh, it's actually been a really treat, really big treat. I actually just uh, just went and looked at it a couple nights ago, and uh, it was very low on the horizon, but I spotted it. Uh, without binoculars, I uh, was able to see it, and uh, it's uh, it's really cool. <laughs> I have to admit, it's really, really fun to see something that, you know, we see in a space telescope, right? And it looks like fuzzy dots when we first see it, of course, but there's really nothing quite like being able to see it with your own eyes and, and know that there really is something there. <laughs> you know, it's very tangible, uh, and that's pretty exciting. Um, plus, it's just beautiful. It's really fun to look at something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Emily. Go, go ahead. Okay. I've gone to go see it a couple times in the morning when it was visible uh, last week. Uh, the first one was uh, just from right near Pasadena, and you could have a, you had a fantastic view of it rising up over the mountains. It was just, it gave me chills to see that, you know, knowing that our space telescope discovered that and um, that. If, you know, there's this object in space that we helped to find, that's really very exciting. I'm uh, waiting for the cloudy skies uh, down here in Florida to clear um, uh, in, the, in the evening. The last uh, couple of uh, evenings, we've had a big cloud bake of thunderstorms uh, in that part of the sky. So I've got my fingers crossed that uh, here in the next week we'll have um, clear skies and I'll be able to see it off my front deck uh, here in Florida. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one, unmute your phone, and record your name clearly when prompted. For the next question, a user on Periscope asks, can I see Neowise even when there's some light pollution? Well, uh, I think it, it, it's certainly easier if you can get to a place that has darker skies. That said, um, if you can look on the horizon, it, it should get easier in a few days here as the comet rises up above the horizon a little bit more, and it'll get away from the, the lights of the city that are, you know, that are on the ground. So it should start to get a little bit easier to see. Uh, that said, the darker the sky, the easier of a time it's going to be. It's well worth trying to take a look because uh, you might see it. And it, it sometimes helps when you're looking for a faint object. Uh, don't look at it directly. Kind of use the field, the peripheral field of your vision, which is also very sensitive. And you can sometimes pick it out that way. You'll see it sort of out of a fuzzy thing out of the corner of your eye. That's uh, that's a good way to look for it as well. Emily, any thoughts about that? Looking from Pasadena. Yeah. No, so. Yeah, LA's not known for its dark skies. Pasadena, <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, the, I, I went you from an area that is, you know, not, again, not really known for its dark skies, but I was still able to, to see it pretty clearly. Um, I was able to see it naked eye pretty faint, but then with a, with a small, pair of small binoculars, I was able to see it pretty clearly 
with a nice tail. Uh, so I would say if you have a pair of binoculars, that will help quite a lot with uh, being able to see this object, especially from an area where it's, uh, you have a little bit of brightness in the sky. The next question is from Mike Wall from space.com. Your line is now open. Thanks for taking another question. I really appreciate it. Um, but I just want to get an idea. How, like, how special is this object? I mean, how, like, how rare is it to see something of this size come come this close to the sun and Earth, and for us to get a view of it like this? Just to get a little perspective. Thanks. <clears throat> the last time that we were able to. It was really just spectacular and have it be viewed by so many people. Uh, was uh, called it Hale Bop in 1995 or 1996. So that's about 25 years ago. Of course, this one's not quite as dramatic as Comet Hale Bop, but we're still able to see it pretty well. And so it's it's pretty rare to see something that's this bright. Uh, we there are comets that are uh, of this size that we see regularly. But most of them are so far from the Earth that they, that they don't get this bright. They're too far from the sun and the Earth uh, to, to be able to see them in the way that we're seeing this comet Neo alive. Great, thank you. Yeah, I, think, I think Lindley touched on something, though, which is that with our current capabilities, we know of about a third of the asteroids that are... Uh, larger than uh, about 140 meters or so, and so there are maybe more objects out there that we are we are just simply not detecting. Uh, for something that's really bright on the sky, lots of people will see it, of course, uh, eventually. But the the question is, you know, there are other objects that are probably out there that are that we're just not noticing necessarily. Well, I was just going to say that uh, in my six decades on this earth. This is my third um, naked eye comet, uh, you know, visible with the naked eye. So about every 20 years. The next Great, question. The next question is from Omar Gomez from Houston Community College. Your line is now open. Good afternoon. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Um, can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Okay. Yes, we hear you. All right. Is uh, COVID-19, how is affecting your work and capabilities? Uh, uh, I guess it's uh, minimum because you're mostly working remote in nature, but uh, are there some things that are getting in your way? And how much funding is getting to, to, to increase our, your capability to detect this uh, you know, wise or any other uh, ways to detect uh, asteroids and comets uh, coming since uh, New Wise is getting at the end of the maybe his lifespan. Um, our 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 start uh, this anyway. Um, uh, as you uh, point out, uh, uh, we're able to do a lot of our work remotely these days, uh, and uh, you know, particularly the capabilities that we now have with, uh, with internet and all the video conference capabilities and such for the Planetary Defense uh, Coordination Office and our projects. Uh, we have had a few observatories that uh, that had to um, uh, shut down, at least initially, until they could 
uh, develop uh, 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 improved operations to uh, function under uh, uh, social distancing and, and those kinds of things. Uh, but it hasn't uh, greatly affected our uh, discovery rate of, of asteroids and, and comets. But um, uh, of course, uh, having uh, uh, space-based capabilities that uh, uh, are operated remotely, like Neowise. Uh, uh, helps uh, improve that situation, and uh, as I mentioned uh, uh, earlier on in a, in a question, uh, we have uh, started uh, the funding uh, ramp uh, for uh, developing a new space-based capability, uh, a follow-on, uh, if you will, to, uh, to NEOWISE, since it's uh, about to expire, a much more capable uh, infrared space telescope uh, specifically designed to spot uh, asteroids uh, and comets. And uh, the same uh, uh, team uh, led by Amy Manger is uh, 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 responsible for development uh, of that telescope. So we're looking forward to uh, getting increased uh, funding from Congress uh, to uh, get that mission going. I'll Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and one nice thing about having a telescope in space is uh, I, I miss seeing my colleagues every day, but uh, the telescope is safely off the Earth, and so uh, we operate remotely anyway. Um, this is just, you know, kind of more of the same in a lot of ways with a space telescope. For the next question, a user on Periscope asks, how long do comets live? Do they eventually melt away? Uh, so the lifetime of a comet depends very heavily on the comet's orbit. For uh, Jupiter family comets that spend most of their time in the inner solar system, and so they get heated much more frequently, we think the average lifetime for those comets is on the order of about 10,000 years. For these long-period comets, such as Comet Neowise, of course, they only come into the inner solar system every several thousand years, so they get heated much less frequently. We don't have a very good estimate for how long these objects will last, but uh, suffice it to say it's substantially longer than for the short period comets. For the next question, a user on Twitter asks, in which countries will Comet Neowise be visible? Is it only in a specific part of the world? Uh, so Comet Neowise is visible right now in the Northern Hemisphere, and um, you should be able to see it for most of the Northern Hemisphere. Of course, for folks that are particularly far north and uh, the sun isn't going down very far right now this time of year, it might be a little more challenging. Um, but I encourage you to give it a try, uh, no matter how far north of the equator you are. Um, unfortunately, right now it's not visible in the southern hemisphere, uh, just due to where its position is on the sky. And the next question, Naomi on YouTube asks, what can we learn or hope to learn by studying Neowise? Emily, you want to take this one? Uh, sure. 
three in a row. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. So um, as we had mentioned before, uh, because Comet Neowise is so bright, we're able to see it a lot more clearly than we do for many other comets. We're able to see it with a lot of different telescopes uh, in different areas, and we're able to use different kinds of observations. So we're able to spectroscopy as well as what we call photometry, which is measuring how bright an object is. Um, and we're also able to look at what we call its morphology, which means the shape. So comet tails tend to uh, have a different shape as they move around away from the sun. So by studying this nice bright tail, we'll be able to uh, get a better idea of what's going on in the comet's tail and understand the physics of comets. I think I would, I would add on to that, too, that one of the reasons we study comets like, like this one and why this one is, is so appreciated because it is so bright is that we, we really would like to know a lot more about their composition as well as their internal structure and how crumbly they are. We care about this because in the unlikely, extremely unlikely event that, that we would find a comet that is headed our way, we would like to know something about its, its structure and composition so we have a better idea of how to push it out of the way. Uh, one of the things we're interested in learning is, is sort of how crumbly or how strong the comet is on the inside. Is it uh, fragmented on the inside? Does it break apart more easily when it gets heated up? Um, and so one of the things we'll be studying as we look at the, the dust signature from the object is the sizes of the particles that are coming off of its surface, and can we, can we use that to understand the total mass of the object as well as how fast it's losing that mass by crumbling apart as it's being heated. Well, that's it for today's podcast. And hey, we only have one episode left in Season 3 before we head into our annual Summer Series Specials, followed by Season 4 in September. We really appreciate your feedback. If you have any comments or suggestions, as we head into Season 4, please send them to podcast at spaceq.ca. If you like what we do, we really could use your support. So please visit our Patreon account at patreon.com slash spaceq and pledge your support. A couple dollars a month really helps us out. You can find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to our Facebook account at The Space Q. If you use iTunes, please rate the show. It really helps others find us. Thank you, and talk to you next week.